Hello, racing fans. Edison Hatter back with another episode of First Over with Edison Hatter. This time, we're going to discuss the Woodbine Mohawk action this coming Friday, September the 17th, 2021. And you know, we have only had one guest on this show two times in the first 13 episodes. And here in episode 14, we'll make it a third guest appearance for Robert Reed Jr., the Grand River on-air handicapper and the Mohawk Course Players Journal author. So, Robert, welcome back to the show again. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I feel like, you know what it feels like to me? It feels like Saturday Night Live. You know, they had like the club with the guys that host the most. And I feel like that's what it's like for me right now. I'm the the only uh, third time guest. Like, I feel like there should be some kind of jacket or something I get to wear. Well, of course, we always get rave reviews when you're on. It's always great to have you with us. And, uh, you know, I guess we got to balance it out here. You know, the first time you, you and I did the pilot episode of the show and we were both eliminated in the first leg of the pick five tickets that we gave out. And then, well, at least you bounced back very nicely the next time out on my birthday, Friday, August the 13th. You gave out a $1,400 winning ticket on the show. So hopefully you got something like that or even better in store for us tonight. Oh, that'd be so nice. When I, yeah, that was that was a very uh, good night uh, for the uh, Horse Players Journal, you know, and myself. And hopefully some of the listeners uh, played along because uh, sometimes, Edison, as you know, it just all falls into place, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, hopefully people are playing along. Uh, I unfortunately, you know, I really did mean to play, uh, you know, my ticket, your ticket, some combination of our ticket that night. But um, I was calling it the Meadows the next day. So I was busy prepping that program and kind of got busy watching the races and, you know, missed, missed the Woodbine Mohawk, unfortunately. But um, nonetheless, we'll, we'll talk here about last Saturday's action at Woodbine Mohawk. And uh, first things first, you were part of the, the team there to cover the North America Cup. So what was that experience like for you? Oh, it was an amazing experience. Uh, you know, it's it's always been my favorite uh, racing card of the entire year, and and really the North America Cup is a race that you know I've never you know missed it. Uh, I even once when I was a kid left a wedding, a family wedding. Uh, my dad made arrangements for me to go and see the uh, the final of the uh, North America Cup at Greenwood Raceway. So it, it uh, was just unreal to be that close to the action and part of the broadcast team and i got to of course you know do the uh, pre-show with monique vague the parlay queen and and that was uh you know just you know a tremendous opportunity we'd worked together before but but never actually alongside each other so that was really neat uh, and then of course you know most of the night spending it next to a hall of fame driver and legend of my childhood uh randy waples so i mean it doesn't get any better than that and, and, you know, and then on top of all that, we got to see just an incredible card of, of harness racing with some, you know, ridiculously good performances capped off by Desperate Man and the story that he was, you know, taking down the North America Cup as as a slight underdog, I'll say. I actually liked him quite a bit for, for second, but I didn't foresee him, you know, getting past uh, that easily in the stretch. Yeah, there was a lot of great races in, in action last Saturday, and we'll just talk about some of the um, highlights. And we'll start with the Peaceful Way, which I believe went as race number three. We had a two-year-old trotting um, uh, battle between two unbeatens, Venerable, who uh, was undefeated coming into the event, as well as a Derry Castle. And Venerable, David Miller and Nifty Norman came out on top and maintained their um, unbeaten record as the one-to-five favorites. Yeah, it was a real nice race. And and going into it, it was funny because, you know, you don't hear the word lock. I mean, if you do hear it, it's used too loosely, right, in, in, in harness racing and in sports. But there were so many people saying, you know, on the broadcast even, you know, Ken Middleton, Monique, myself, that 
Venerable was the lock of the night. And what's crazy about that is Adair Castle's a horse that I've been in her corner the entire season and and never went against her, not in one spot, and obviously did uh, in, in the peaceful way with Venerable, Venerable being in there. And, and when you watch the race play out, Edison, you see – you know, Venerable wins with ease again, and and I use the word for in the elimination, which I don't use very often. Breathtaking, she really was breathtaking again. But Adair Castle ends up being a horse that if Venerable is not in there, she would have been a, a dominant winner. She she was more than five lengths ahead of the third place finishers. So it's just one of those uh, you know divisions where you know the horse south of the border, uh, you know, to us is an absolute monster. But we got a pretty good one here in Ontario too with Adair Castle. Yeah, no, I know. I spoke pretty highly of both of these two. I thought they were both pretty talented when I was previewing this this card last week. And um, you're right, Venerable wins by two lengths over Derek Castle, and a very comfortable two lengths at that. But Derek Castle, in turn, is uh, five and a half lengths clear of a Peyton Hanover back in third. So those two were definitely much the best in there. Is one fifty four and three the winning time for Venerable in there, and again he remains unbeaten. Um, and you know. I, Robert, you know, I mentioned it to you in the email with the show rundown here today, so I've got to ask about it. You know, there's already been a little discussion here. Venerable is unbeaten record. Do you think horse of the year is within the realm of possibility? Uh, you know what, just the way that uh, she's done it, I would say yes. I mean, it, you know, it, it really depends, I guess, what happens from here as well. I mean, I know we'll talk a little bit maybe about the Bohawk Million later on, but, you know, I'm hoping somehow she gets, you know, into that race where they decide to, to you know, maybe partner with someone on the spot because, I all like you know I've watched you know a lot of races in my life and and I'll I don't think I've seen one that has the kind of gears that she has and does it so easily and effortlessly. You know, Dave Miller has not lifted a line on this horse at least I didn't see it the last 2 weeks up here so I I think that uh you know pound for pound I'd say she's been the most impressive horse that I've seen uh, in any division over the course of the year. You're right now, you know, you keep saying it now, now it's catching my eye, you know, I do it all the time, and you know, whenever I announce, I always have to make notations, especially if there's a race with with different ones in there, I, some reason I always manage to screw up gender, so I think I said he a couple times here, so correct, two-year-old Philly Trotter, she, venerable she, <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, for sure, I think if you're talking about locks, I think for sure it's a lock that I will get a chance to see her um, on the last Friday in October at the Breeders' Crown at the Meadowlands, and I'm certainly looking forward to that. So next, Robert, uh, we'll talk about later on on the card in the Good Times final. That was our three-year-old trot, and Fashion Frenzy gets the job done there with Louis Philippe Wah, but Dancing in the Dark M makes another disappointing break in there. Yeah, I interviewed uh, you know Marcus Melander before the race, and and you know he seemed uh, pretty confident that he might be able to you know stay on uh, you know on his gate uh, for that race, and and I put Dancing in the Dark on top and. The, the kind of speed that, that he had produced in, you know, in several efforts, I thought he was clearly the one to beat, got back down to favoritism, uh, but then made that break again, you know, went uh, first over, you know, the week before it looked like T-Trick and the elimination had to use a lot of finesse to get him around, uh, you know, on the trot. So I guess I'd say I wasn't surprised that he made that miscue, uh, but, you know, I, I was surprised how easily fashion friends he ended up winning. Uh, you know, I know that, that one jumping it off, he becomes a logical choice. But, you know, everyone kind of knocked him in the elimination saying, well, he just kind of went around the track and stole fractions. But, you know, he, he gave a pretty good performance in the final uh, to win, you know, by a wide margin in 53-2. and two. Yeah, he definitely did. He was a very impressive in there. Um, right. I was dancing in the dark game. You know, he's just kind of an all-or-nothing kind of horse. You know, um, if, if he stays flat, he's definitely super, super talented. But 
Um, especially in, in recent races, there's been a lot more breaks than there have been flat lines. So uh, it's got to be getting a little bit concerning. Um, and yeah, the only other horse in that race, actually, that was less than 12 to 1 was Locatelli, who uh, finished a, a disappointing sixth in there. So Fashion Frenzy um, really had it a pretty easy there on the front end once Dancing in the Dark made the break and uh, went on to cruise um, by four lengths in the end, came home with 28 for a final time in there of 153 and two for Fashion Frenzy to take out the good time three-year-old trot. So next we'll talk about the fan Hanover for three-year-old fillies. That was another superstar throwdown between Firestar Hanover at eight to five and Hot Mess Express at one to two. And it was Firestar Hanover and Dexter Dunn who got the better of Hot Mess Express this time. Yeah, you've uh, you've probably seen these horses a lot more than I have, but I did get the privilege of watching them, you know, in their eliminations and both race fantastic in their in their fan handover eliminations. I I thought Hot Mess Express like there was a big bias, right? That's one thing we haven't really touched on yet. Like there was a huge speed bias uh, on NA Cup night, and that was because there was a huge headwind in the stretch, and that is typically what happens. And you know, when that bias kind of became more and more evident, I said, well, Hot Mess Express can't lose because you know, obviously she's going to be put to the lead pretty, uh, pretty early. And, and she was, and, you know, Firestart Hanover was, I thought going to follow her, you know, maybe even try to follow her and retake her, but instead Dexter Dunn kind of waited patiently and came first over. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, it was one of the performances of the night for me because she ends up beating the bias coming first over and getting past who I thought was, you know, one of the more probable winners on the card, hot mess express. Yeah. You know, um, you know, there's two horses that I've talked about recently on the show, and I believe I mentioned it with Hot Mess Express as well. So the two horses that I've really been doubting lately have been Lion Sentinel and um, uh, Alley White Canover. And it seems like whenever I pick against them, you know, which I have been doing a lot lately, they win. So I finally picked them both last Saturday, and, you know, they both won. So um, everything was great and good. And Hot Mess Express was the kind of the third horse that it seems like I've been picking against a lot lately. And I finally go with her, and, uh, you know, Firestar Hanover gets there instead. But, um uh, it was a very good drive from Dexter Dunn, and you're right, especially considering the bias that became apparent as the evening went on. It makes it all the more impressive, um, but both of those two, both definitely some talented three-year-old pacing fillies for sure. So next we had the Wellwood as race number 10 on the card, and for the Wellwood, it went to King of the North at 4-5, to five, Mark McDonald for Ray Schnicker, and you know, I remember when King of the North won on Meadowlands um, Pace Eve in the New Jersey Sire Stakes final, I, I was working in the back paddock that night, so I got the opportunity to ride the van, you know, up to the winner's circle with Ray Schnicker, and I could just tell that um, he surely thought a lot of this horse and was real proud of the effort he put in that night, and for sure, he had to be pretty darn happy with the effort that he gave in the Wellwood. Yeah, it was uh, it was a remarkable effort, and I, I didn't, you know, I kind of was doubting he was going to get there, and I was pretty confident going into the race. I mean, the elimination, he wanders out and gets beat up the inside, he had missed you know, nearly a month and, you know, first start over the surface. So he, he had quite a few built in excuses in the elimination and, you know, the final kind of wandered out again in the stretch when he was, when he was, you know, closing uh, at the leader duly resolved, but just the surge he had at the wire was, you know, so impressive and, and, you know, duly resolved, I think probably uh, turned some heads and, and made some more believers as well for the Ontario division up here anyways. And, uh, you know, the, the gold, because, that was a solid effort in, in defeat, you know, King of the North, uh, obviously, 
you know, a highly regarded uh, horse that, uh, you know, did finally fall to defeat in his elimination for the Wellwood. But I was, I was ultra impressed really by both of those efforts because, you know, duly resolved, you know, hung in there right till the very end, but, you know, King of the North, you know, I, I would say, you know, again, the, the wandering in the stretch, a little bit of a concern for me. Like, I don't know if he's um, maybe something's bothering him, but I mean, a dynamite horse where if that gets remedied, he's only going to improve even further. Yeah, he's definitely been a super horse. And you're right, Duly Resolved, you know, as a full disclaimer, I had uh, Duly Resolved and um, uh, Venerable to start an early daily double on whatever card that was on elimination night. And it actually, Duly Resolved, the two to one actually paid more. than the double did with Venerable by like 20 cents, go figure. But, um, so, you know, maybe I'm biased because obviously Julie Resolve holding off Let's Do It through the stretch that night uh, helped me financially. But um, I, I just thought that was an incredible, incredible effort by Julie Resolve to turn away Let's Do It, who was the one to two favorite in that elimination. And uh, right, I think he was um, just as good here in the final, obviously beaten by King of the North, who's uh, turning into a pretty big monster two-year-old as well. But, um so, Robert, so for our fans listening, and I know I had alluded to it a little bit in last week's show, but we'll talk a little bit more about it now here. So for the Wellwood, the winner of this race, King of the North, gets a bid into the Mohawk Million. But the other slots in the Mohawk Million um, are coming a different way. They were actually sold, correct? And that's how you get into the Mohawk Million. Yeah, they were all sold. So the, the other nine spots were were sold. Uh, you know, they get put up for sale. Uh, and then, you know, uh, owners, uh, you know, of, of, you know, two-year-olds or, um, you know, the, the younger horses are going to, you know, buy spots, but there's obvious, they're obviously doing it on spec. So it's obviously a bit of a challenge uh, in that regard, but there's also some entities that are buying it, looking to hopefully then sell that spot or, you know, commission another horse to race in that spot for them. So it's a really, um, you know, interesting dynamic, uh, one that, uh, you know, I think is amazing. And, you know, last year, I remember the, you know, part of the fun was just trying to figure out, you know, when we got closer and we're at that point now, you know, who's going to be in what spot and, and what trainers, uh, and owners were going to use, um, you know, what horse they would select to, to go into the big race. So I, I think it's a, it's a really neat, you know, dynamic for a race. And, uh, you know, this year, you know, we've got a few horses that are now confirmed, but there's a lot of big question marks, you know, and for me personally, I, I don't know what the chances are, but I would love to see Venerable, you know, find her way into that race. And I mean, can you imagine seeing her and King of the North, you know, in, in a showdown in the Mohawk Million? I mean, that right there, you know, might be, you know, a race for the ages. Yeah, it should be a spectacular race no matter what, but if we get Venerable in there, oh man, it will be a fantastic race. And as you mentioned, we did have a couple that we're aware of at this point. And um, again, you can keep post of it for our listeners, you know, keep an eye on social media and Mohawk's website and the other outlets. And you can um, find out as we do when these horses are are named, because obviously we're only 10 days away from the Mohawk Million. Um, But at this point, so we're aware of three slots that have been taken. So obviously King of the North, the Wellwood winner, is in for uh, Mark McDonald and trainer Ray Schnicker. Um, and then Equine X has given their two slots to Selfie Queen, a Nancy Tactor trainee, and the Mighty Hall, Chris, a Chris Beaver trainee. So we will look forward to seeing the three of them and seven other freshman trotters line up again just 10 days from now. And man, time really does fly here. Just 10 days away to the 2021 edition of the Mohawk Million. So next, Robert, we'll turn to the big one. Race 11 
Uh, build as a battle of um, Perfect Sting versus Bulldog Hanover, and it turned out there was a different horse that came to the party for the night. Yeah, there, there certainly was. And you know what? I, I was actually on uh, Ponies 24-7, a radio show up here in Canada, uh, the morning of, and I actually build it as, don't uh, don't think this is a race between Bulldog Hanover and, and Perfect Sting. Now, I was a bit wrong. I said it was going to be between Bulldog Hanover and Desperate Man, but at least I did get the uh, the higher price winner uh, correct uh, out of the two that would finish, uh, you know, in the exacta. Because I thought Desperate Man had done something in his elimination that I had never seen before. At least I couldn't really uh, recall. And I know there has been talk that it, it may have been a world record, you know, coming a back half and in, in uh, fifty one and three, I believe. And and that to me was just uh, truly truly remarkable. And uh, you know, I thought he had he had a chance. I did not want to go against Bulldog Hanover. My heart was with Bulldog Hanover. I thought he was a horse that deserved it just because of the, you know, the season that he had had and some of the um, you know trips he had overcome. I just think maybe it caught up with him because at the halfway point, I was sitting with Randy Wables on the desk and we looked at each other and at the same time said, it's over. And we could not have been more wrong because what an incredible stretch drive. Perfect sting came to call, but then here comes Desperate Man, uh, you know, an incredible story for the Chikines and and, uh, and their whole family. And that was a winner's circle where I'll tell you right now, I don't think there was a dry eye uh, after that race. Yeah, it was spectacular to watch. Uh, we were watching it at the Meadowlands, of course, um, as we were getting ready to wrap up our card Saturday night and enjoying the race. Um, and yeah, you know, Desperate Man has, has picked up a couple wins this year, but he's doing them in the right spots, you know, in the final here. And he wins um, a $160,000 race at, I believe, Georgian. Um, against uh beating um lawless shadow as well as bulldog hanover so he's picked his spots very well um and yeah you know i, I did consider some other horses besides perfect sting and bulldog hanover i know i talked up rocky road hanover again and the bucket bed hanover but um desperate man i said you couldn't leave out but definitely was not my top selection so well done for you then to uh, get him in your numbers there so a very very nice win for the connections as well <laughs> And finally, Robert, we had uh, one of the conditioned overnight events, race 13, which was significant because of the nearly $300,000 carryover with a mandatory payout in the Super High Five. And uh, sad to say, I don't believe either one of us hit that Super High Five, but hopefully some of our listeners out there did. Yeah, I, I hope someone did. I know it wasn't me. I, listen, I got wrapped up in a horse in this one, and Monique was kind of surprised that I was so confident. And I guess, you know, her... Uh, her being surprised that my confidence was correct and I was wrong because I loved Real Willie in that race and I expected him to go to the front and ride the bias. That didn't work out from post two. He ended up going park the route, but you know, Groovy Joe ends up winning it as the favorite and you know, one that I thought, you know, we get bet down, but not bet down in the, in the manner that he did. And you know, I'd say it kind of came in fairly logical Edison. I know it's hard to say that when you don't cash it, but you know, when you look at the actual betting board, it came in fairly logical and, you know, still got a real nice payoff. And it just shows you that when there's a mandatory payout at Mohawk Park and there's that much dead money in the pool, it's a must play wager. You know, it's it's just one that you have to take a shot at. And, you know, they bet close to a million dollars Canadian uh, of new money uh, into the pool and and uh, really capped off just a, a truly, uh, you know, incredible night at Mohawk Park. Yeah, you're right. It's always tough to say it was haveable when neither one of us had it, but it really was. It was three to two favorite over eight to one, over fifteen to one, over nine to two, over twenty six to one. And um, you know, it sounds like the way you were saying there, you were relying on real Willie. It sounds like you kind of 
did my strategy, as well as Howard Kravitz, who was on to me last week. For me, when I play a super high five, which really isn't often, generally just when there's a mandatory payout, I like to kind of try to use one horse at the top and then maybe just a couple in that second and third spot. So that way I can really spread in that fourth and fifth leg and almost kind of turn it into a trifecta type bet. Um, and for me, you know what? I actually couldn't single on top this time. I actually had to use the one, uh, Rock Me, Roll Me, and the two Real Willie, but didn't matter. Neither one of them hit the top anyway. Um, and then, of course, I had the five in the second and third position. So, um, yeah, no no cashing ticket for me. But, again, hopefully some of our listeners out there did. <laughs> yeah, definitely a nice one to have. But, yeah, I agree with the strategy, though. I like going very thin on top and and then spreading out. And and I know a few people that, that did have success with this one by, by doing the opposite of what I typically try to do. And they were using three and four in the win position and then branching out kind of slowly and not using that all in the fifth spot. But, but for me, I, if I'm going to have the first four, I want to make sure I get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know what? I can't fault anyone for gambling strategy if it works, of course, but you know, I've seen some <laughs> tickets in the past and some people I know like to like Single in the fourth position or fifth position, it's just mind-boggling to me how you can handicap the single, oh, this horse is going to finish fourth or fifth, you know? I mean, what if he finishes third? Yeah. How do you feel then, you know? But, um, again, everyone's got their strategies, and, yeah, unfortunately, ours did not work out for either one of us. But that's okay because this Friday is a new day. And, by the way, before we turn the page officially on Saturday, we will say that was a $2,300 payout for that Super I-5 for 20 cents, which, like you said, is a pretty good payout considering the – um, prices that we had there. So definitely all the dead money in the pool certainly boosted that payout as well as the big pool from everyone playing for that dead money. Um, but anyway, Friday is a brand new day, Friday, September the 17th, 2021. And we got a chance to make some more money in that early pick five sequence, a 20 cent guaranteed wager, a hundred thousand dollar guaranteed pool races one through five as always. And again, you can get your free program at woodbine.com backslash mohawk backslash free hyphen programs to follow along with Robert and I, as we, talk you through this pick five sequence and we'll jump right into it as always race number one the Ontario Sire Stakes grassroots the three-year-old Phillies on the pace for $22,150 and Robert you start started out by going four deep yeah I went four deep in, in this one and you know these grassroots races sometimes you find standouts in there other times you know the, the one thing that's really interesting about these events is that you've got horses that you know race coming from all different ranges right yeah they probably met in the grassroots but some are in non-winners of one non-winners of two non-winners of three you see as high as non-winners of five so you know you, you got to kind of look around and try to figure out you know which ones are the are the real contenders and and this one here I didn't really want to be um you know kind of boxed into only using a couple i wanted to, to kind of give myself a chance for a price i did make my top selection number three chief's dream girl in the race and i think she will take most of the betting support especially off her latest but in the pick five i wanted to be four deep so i actually used uh, the five got sexy scars uh one that i think has been racing pretty good as of late and is, is probably you know warming up to getting a win on the big track for Richard Moreau uh, three in a row three different tracks two Rito Georgian Downs and Trois Rivieres so I I, I don't want to not have that one that's for sure uh, number nine Cyclone Sister is one that you know got beat as a favorite last time I think you have to have in your ticket and number eight Salzburg Olympia now people sometimes give me flack in the journal uh, Edison because I, I kind of fall in love with horses and I'll admit Salzburg Olympia is one that I've been staying under bandwagon through some pretty difficult times lately. But just look at the driver this time around, Mr. Dexter Dunn. I've seen him do amazing things with horses and turn horses around and wake them up uh, and bring out their absolute best. And if she could ever return to her earlier season form, I could see her getting the job done in here. So I'm going to throw her on the ticket just because Dexter Dunn jumps aboard. 
Yeah, I think I've heard of that Dexter Dunn guy. I might have met him a time or two, maybe in the Meadowlands paddock. Uh, I think he's. I think he might be an okay driver. <laughs> um, so I'm pretty similar to you. For me, it's three, five, six, and nine. I use the six. She's a sassy beach as my fourth one. Um, who, by the way, is owned, bred, and trained by track announcer Ken Middleton. Um, he's had some tough post trials lately. How about four post sevens in a row and a post six in there? So a little bit on the outside post, especially some of those um, smaller tracks at Grand River and. Uh, McClinton, but uh, was on the 7-8 mile track, finished third beaten by three lengths against grassroots starters back um, last Saturday, or last Friday, rather, and came home in 27 seconds flat last quarter. So, you know, if, if she can get a little bit closer here early on, maybe she can pull it off at the price. But uh, I'm definitely with you leaning on the three, the six, and the nine in here. And, you know, while we're at it, I'm not sure if you know um, who, who I'm talking about here, but for um, Got Sexy Scars, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but it's Trois Riveros, correct? Or Riveros, or... <laughs> Uh, Trois Rivières, the way I say it, but hey, I, I mean, I'm not an expert either at that. Ready, Trois Rivières. Um, that yep. track announced, you know, I get a chance to listen to it. In fact, I watched that race. I actually got a chance to watch that day because there was a lot of stakes on that card on, on that uh, um, Saturday or Sunday. Um, I, I'm always impressed at how quickly, I mean, I find it hard enough for me to announce races as is, but if you never got a chance to listen to this guy, he, he calls the race in like half French and then half in English. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, he's amazing. He really is. And and that that, that is to me, I, I'll be honest, you know, not being a track announcer and, and someone that would butcher a race in any language, I'm sure, you know, I'd marvel at it myself. I'm not sure how he can just switch back and forth so easily. Yeah, like, like I said, to our listeners, if you never got a chance to listen to it, you got to go find a race replay and listen to this. Because, yeah, I mean, I I, I, I I butcher calling a race in one language in English the whole way through. I definitely can't do two. <laughs> but, I, you know, I like what you did with She's a Sassy Beach there. And, and oddly enough, I, ha- I had her slaughtered in the fourth spot in the journal. Uh, and then when I saw, you know, listen, I'm a big Dexter Dunn fan. It was actually, I didn't tell him this. I didn't want to be a fanboy. It was a big moment for me when I got to interview him on North America Cup Day because I had, he's someone that I've, I've wanted to meet for so long. And obviously up here, we don't get as many chances as you get down there, Edison. But, you know, for me, I had She's a Sassy Beach slaughtered in and then switched to Salzburg Olympia. Yeah, it's funny, you know, uh, the last time I saw Dexter was, I believe, on, uh, was, uh, met, was Matt Hamiltonian Day, and uh, we just kind of got talking a little bit, you know, obviously, I guess he read about me and was talking about my day, asked me about my daytime job, you know, with uh, NASA and what I do there, and he thought that was so cool, I'm like, come on, you're Dexter done. you're telling me something I do cool, no, 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 what, what about what you do? <laughs> That's um, awesome. Not to mention, this conversation happened in the car after he just won with Bella Bellini in the Hamiltonian Oaks, I mean. <laughs> wow. That's so uh, race two, we turn the page here. Uh, non-winners of 5,000 in their last five starts or non-winners of 10,500 in their last 10 starts. Um, this one's on the trot for a purse of 14,000, and you are going four deep again. Yeah, four deep again, and I almost singled here because I, I really uh, thought Superlative was a, uh, a slam dunk in her latest in the bottom condition and ended up breaking stride, got sideways you know, off the start, dug herself in way too deep of a hole to have absolutely no chance uh, at really, you know, winning, I ended up still finishing second. But I said, you know what? She's moving up in class. She just made a break. Sometimes those behaviors kind of follow. So I, I ended up going four deep and, and I, I threw in, uh, you know, number seven HP, uh, Brussels, who's plunging down in class. You know, I think the, uh, Ben by Arjun Barn is starting to heat up again. They were cold for a little while, but I think they're starting to come around and, you know, you, you pick up Yannick Jingra, uh, on that one. And then, you know, I throwing in head turning Jag, uh, for, you know, Trevor Henry, uh, and, and John, uh, Chikin, and then Villefranche, uh, one that, uh, I, another one I get a little bit of flack for that. I, she's always in my selections, but 
I thought she didn't race too poorly last time uh, in the bottom condition. And, and now with Trevor jumping over to head turning Jag, and he obviously has allegiances to the, to the chickens that um, you get Dexter done on that one. And, and I think that, uh, you know, she's a mare that, you know, was go- coming into her last off a couple of breaks and might have a chance to, uh, to uh, upset. So yeah, for me, I'm going one, three, five and seven superlative though, is my top selection. So Robert, I'll, I'll ask you, um, just cause I'm not super, super familiar with the neck with the connections here. So I just happen to know that Trevor Henry, um, on the proof that I'm looking at now that I've made my driver changes on was listed on the three, the five and the seven, and he's ending up on the five head turning Jag. Is there a lot we can read into that? Or is that a connections driving choice for him? Or do, do you have any insight on that? Well, I mean the, uh, so the Chikines are who he's going to drive for. And so John, Chakin trains head training Jag. Well, Kathy Chakin trains Desperate Man. So, not that Desperate Man winning the NA, NA Cup would have really changed this, or not winning the Cup would have changed this one. He typically always drives for the Chakins, very close to them. Um, you know, and uh, you know, from Arthur, he's from Arthur, Ontario. So he's going to always side with with that barn unless something else came up. But now with Desperate Man, I don't think it really mattered what horse he was named on in this race. He's taking head-turning Jack. Yeah, I, I know when I had Jeff Zidick on the announcer at the Meadows a couple weeks ago, we were talking about this, that, um, you know, sometimes I think driver choice can kind of you read into and you can find something out. But, of course, um, you know, with certain drivers sticking with certain connections, might not be a whole lot there. So I, I just ask, because obviously, as, you, as you're well aware, then Trevor uh, ends up selecting off of two of your uh, picks in there. But, of course, picking up Dexter Dunn and that other guy, that, that Yannick Jinger, I think, is also uh, not not too bad of a driver either. <laughs> um, and I don't so, want to yes. knock head-turning Jag, by the way. I don't want to sound like I'm knocking that horse. And and oddly enough, Edison, I've had some people, uh, you know, bash me sometimes on, on Twitter <laughs> with my selections when I don't go with the driver's pick. But as you know, there's a lot more at play than just, you know, who the better horse is. Yeah, there definitely can be. Um, you know, I always obviously try to keep an eye on the connections and stuff like that. But it seems like in general, especially if it's a true driver's choice, whenever I go against the driver's choice, I'm always wrong. So, you know. Um, but yeah, no, head turning Jack, definitely no knock on the horse. Um, he finished second at this level back on August the 30th. Um, and then had a terrible trip in post nine last time out at the level. So definitely, by all means, is uh, in with a chance for sure. Um, and why you use him in here, of course. Um, but for me, I actually don't end up using him. I use the one, the two, and the seven. So I'm going to use superlative. After the break and the miscue last time early, to come home um, to finish second, albeit at two to five against that Bob Love condition, was, was a really nice effort. Um, and with the rail draw of the day, I, I think um, she's in with a pretty serious chance here. Uh, but I also like the two water rush. Ten to one on the board gets David Miller, another one of our south of the border drivers. Um, and this one came back to Wood by Mohawk last Friday. Had post six, got away towards the back, um, and actually was last at that field of seven at the quarter. But... Had a good strong back half and ended up finishing third, beaten only by two lengths. Came on twenty eight and three, a final time of fifty five and one. So I will throw him in at a price along with Superlative and HB Brussels. So one two seven for me in race two. So race three, we have the Milton Pace. This is an elimination for the Phillies and Mares. The three year olds at open. This is one of two eliminations, and we will have the final for the Milton Pace on next Saturday's program, part of that Mohawk Million card. And uh, there's a field of six in this event and a field of seven in the other Milton Pace elimination, which we'll talk about a little bit later on the card. Um, But here in race three, you and I, after we both spread in those first two legs, we have to find a single somewhere. And we are going to, the horse that I mentioned, uh, I've picked against a good bit, but I won't go against her here, Lion Sentinel from the rail um, in this Milton Pace elimination. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I just actually noticed I made a mistake in the journal here because I, when I saw the final changes came up, I thought it said uh, Tim Tetrick, but it's actually James McDonald. So I guess, hey, Lion Sentinel still would be my single in here no matter what. And and uh, if if James McDonald, uh, you know, you get that, if you get uh, that Teamster aboard her, I mean, he's only uh, the hottest driver on the planet still up here locally. So uh, definitely a suitable replacement for Tim Tetrick on Lion Sentinel. And I couldn't go against this one. You know, she's been way too good. And I know some people have concerns, you know, singling a horse and elimination racing, but you know, there's still, you know, a lot on the line in winning this race. And I don't see her, uh, her getting beaten here. And, you know, I, I considered, I considered maybe going thin somewhere else and, and putting in peaky sneaky. And the reason for it was I like horsemen to get back in on a regular rotation. And really, if you saw that race and the Rosa red, she had no chance the way the race panned out. Uh, but for me, I said, you know what? Lion Sentinel's just been too good and, uh, I'm not going to side against her. Yeah, I remember Peaky Sneaky, of course, last year pulling the big upset over Party Girl Hill in that uh, Breeders' Crown um, final. But, um, yeah, the single to Lion Sense now here, I mean, uh, not a whole lot needs to be said about her. She's obviously been super this year. Um, I guess you got a chance to see her up there with my Mohawk a couple weeks ago. Get a chance to see her here on this card. And, obviously, uh, we've gotten a chance to be privileged to see her a good bit at the Meadowlands this um, summer. And, yeah, she has just been absolutely superb. And yeah, you're right, Tim Tetrick uh, not coming up. It will be James McDonald, but uh, I believe that's a perfectly suitable alternative given the way that he's been driving lately. So Lion Sentinel, both of our singles here in this pick five sequence. Race four, the Ontario Sire State Grassroots, more three-year-old fillies. It's on the pace for a purse of $22,150, and you just used two in here. Yeah, just going too deep in here. And my top selection, I did go to number seven, Voluptuous, was really impressed with uh, the effort against Ontario grassroots starters last time now uh, in an actual division of the grassroots. But, uh, you know, she's she's been a winner uh, in, in here before. And, uh, you know, Cyclone Sister was bet down to big favoritism uh, to this one last time and got a trip in behind her. And, and couldn't get near this one. This filly just kind of sprinted away for it at the end. So Voluptuous uh, was was really good earlier in the season. I, I kind of saw that horse again uh, on September uh, the 10th, and, and I think we're going to see another uh, rock-solid effort from uh, Voluptuous. But, you know, she's got it all as an interesting one uh, to me. Last time, you know, finishing second to set setting a precedent, and, and that, uh, you know, Mare's kind of been on fire. So I think that uh, she's got it all might be worth using in here. You know, Doug McNair had his choice um, and took Voluptuous, which, I mean, I think that was kind of the obvious uh, option for him. Uh, Trevor Henry aboard, he's been driving fantastic as of late and just one that I think might have a chance at uh, at getting the upset and, and maybe giving us some value in the pick five. So I use the two and the seven as well, but I also throw in there the four Shiatsu Sealster who – Came back to Woodby Mohawk back last Friday in Ontario Sire Stakes Grassroots Divisions um, and finished a nice second place, beat only by a neck and 28 and 2 to Our Little Miracle. Final time of 53 and 4. Um, so she had posted three that day, had a pretty good draw, and ended up getting away sixth of seven that day. Um, but again, had that nice strong back half. So maybe if she'd be a little bit closer earlier on, she might be in with a chance at a price. But definitely she's got it. She's got it all, and uh, Voluptuous, the two to beat in here, but it's two, four, and seven for me in leg four. So next we turn on to the fifth and final leg, the payoff leg of this early pick five. Phillies and Mares, non-winners of 9,000 in the last five starts, or non-winners of 26,000 in the last 10 starts. It's on the pace for 18,000, and to close it out, you are going four deep again. 
Yeah, four deep again, you know, giving us some shots, uh, hopefully for some, uh, you know, nicer prices in the money leg. And I went to number two kick in Calgary on top. I thought that the uh, win two back was uh, was really nice and and one that uh, caught my eye. And, and now she's, you know, back, uh, you know, pretty much, I'd say, at that level and, and, and against similar horses. She beat Laura's love on that day and and did so pretty handily. And the, the, the two starts sandwich uh, around that one are both over, you know, smaller services at the preferred ranks on the B tracks. And, and they were decent efforts as well. But I think that uh, this mare prefers the big track. And we're going to see that, uh, you know, on, on Friday night. So I'm not sure... I I don't think she'll get bet down to favoritism. I think the money might get spread out in this race and, and might go in a different direction, but she is my top selection. But along with that one, I'm also going to use number five, West beach, who is the other Moro horse. And, and Sylvan Filion does, you know, book off that one to drive kicking cowgirl. Uh, Doug McNair picks up that steer number six, itty bitty uh, one that I think is in good form right now uh, for Carmen Occiello and, and should get every chance from the uh, center of the gate. And then Ivana flyby is one that I think you have to use because when this, you know, New Zealand breads on her game, she could blow this field away. And, you know, eight to one in the book is probably ambitious because I know she's kind of off form right now, but you're now, you know, looking at a horse that's getting big time class relief that could wake up uh, in a big way. And if you go down to those lines at the bottom of the program and see her racing the Phillies and Mary preferred two at Georgian Downs, well, she got a nice confidence boost there, and I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if she's one that does that uh, exact same, you know, kind of thing on this occasion to maybe get her confidence back. Yeah, now that you mentioned her, maybe she's one I should have thrown in here as well. Um, for me, I'm still bitter. I forget whether it was last week or the week before, but I know I used her in one of those two most recent efforts. So it's probably this great case of you know I used her a week too early, right? So um, did not end up using her though. I used the one, the two, and the five. The other one I throw in is this Dragon Rocks with uh, Andrew McCarthy. Post eight, post ten, the last two against similar company. Uh, just some tough trips, and they're getting away absolutely last in the field. But some good back halves coming home in 26 flat, two starts back, and 27 flat last time out. So um, with the rail draw, we'll see if she can't work out a little bit better trip, be a little bit closer on. And she does have three wins this year. So, um, you know, you're looking at this field, and there's not a whole lot of wins in there. Um, but a kicking cowgirl, that's another real positive for her. Is the fact, she's seven for 19, so she does like to win. And likewise, the horse you included, Ivana Flyby, um, has six wins from 18 starts. Um, so if that's something you follow along with at all, definitely um, those are some ones to include. But for me, it's just one, two, and five to close out the sequence. And to recap our tickets for Robert, it's going to be three, five, eight, nine, with one, three, five, seven, with one, with two, seven, with two, five, six, nine, for a $25.60 play. And for me, it will be three, five, six, nine, with one, two, seven, with one, with two, four, seven, with one, two, five, for a $21.60 play. So next, Robert, before we wrap it up, we'll just hit on a couple of featured races. Um, so we'll turn right back to the next race, race six. This is on the pace for 35000 This is the Milton Pace Elimination, the second one for those three-year-old and up fillies and mares. This one has a field of seven. And what do you think about this race? You know, this is interesting because I think Rocknificent is one that you need to respect in here. And, and you know, you, you look at the lines and you see finishing second to line Sentinel. And, and you see that victory, obviously, here in the Philly Mares Open. And I thought she raced really well that day. She was, you know, off a few weeks and kind of got, uh, you know, into a tough spot in the stretch before uh, Yannick got her room late to get the job done. So, you know, I think she's the obvious one. but 
so much more obviously has uh, a place in my heart, uh, you know, being someone who follows this circuit so closely, you know, it's just a real quality mare and, you know, her effort in the roses are red was pretty remarkable, you know, from the 10 hole left out, got away fourth, ended up getting shuffled back, shook loose late, came home at 25 and four to pick up, you know, third and, and just one that uh, always brings her best. You know, it doesn't really matter, you know, what spot she's in, what post she has. Uh, it's a horse that uh, you can always uh, count on, you know, trying, uh, you know, right to the wire. And she's got seven wins that have, um, you know, sorry, 10 on the board finishes and seven victories this season in our preferred here at Mohawk Park. So I know, um, you know, locally, we're all, we'll all be cheering for her once again. I think that, Rock Dificent's the one to beat, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see so much more, you know, be very close on this one. Yeah, I'm with you. My, my top pick in here would be Rock Dificent. I think for sure she is the one to beat, and you're right. There's so many second-place finishes near Lion Sentinel, and especially if you and I like Lion Sentinel um, as our single in the pick five sequence, you have to use Rock Dificent, of course, right, who's been right there with her every time. Um, and then, yeah, the one so much more, I thought that was a nice effort from Post 10 last time out, finishing third to Lion Sentinel and Rock Nificent. So with the rail draw here, she definitely is in with a chance. But the one, and you know, you talked earlier about you kind of become attached to certain horses. So maybe this is the case for me, but, you know, a little bit of a price. The one I kind of like is the six, Watch Me Now. This is a New Zealand bred that's only had three starts in the U.S. And humble brag, but I uh, had her on top. That night when she won in her U.S. debut on July 9th, paid a beautiful 8-1, to one, won by five lengths. Uh, never really a moment of hesitation in there. She looks fantastic. And then she came out really strongly last time out at the Big M. She went down to the Pocono to the 5-8 mile track and finished fifth in there as her even money favorite. Didn't really seem to like the small track and had to do it first up, a tough trip. But came back to the Big M two Saturdays ago against non-winners of 17,500, uh, went off as your 3-2 to two favorite and got the job done by two and a quarter lengths, leading all the way from post seven. Came home with 26-2, and two, a final time of 149-4. and four. So obviously she's facing much, much tougher here, and it's a real class test for sure. But um, I think it says something of, of the connections to um, put her in this spot. And, uh, you know, she's two for three so far in the U.S. And, uh, well, I guess she's technically going back out of the country now. She's going to Canada. But, you know, uh, since coming from New Zealand two for three. And so see if she can't uh, pick up a piece in here and make it to that final. <laughs> and Anthony Montini, uh, you know, a good horseman, you know, up here at Mohawk Park. And he's had success with uh, with similar ones, you know, uh, coming up, uh, you know, for these connections uh, and and ones that were, you know, bred in New Zealand. So, you know what, you might be selling me on this one, Edison. And not to mention, again, you know, like I said, do get certainly attached to horses. I also got a chance to watch her qualifier. If you see that line two back um, down in my place at Freehold on our opening day, she was in a qualifying event. And uh, nothing against any of the horses in that qualifier, but obviously they weren't quite of her caliber. But um, how about a – and I realize, again, it's still a qualifier, but how about a 43-length qualifying win from post eight? I mean, <laughs> um, she took over by five lengths of the quarter and, and just absolutely rolled from there. Um, 28 flat and came home in 154 the final time. And, and you know, for freehold, the way our track plays, that's a pretty good time. Um, and again, obviously a qualifier. So it wasn't even her full effort. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's six to one. She's one maybe to watch out for, um, to include some tickets there. So Robert, next we'll turn back to race nine, the Armborough flight final for the Phillies and Mares three rolls and up on the trot for a purse of 233,000. And, you know, I was really, really excited about this field when I saw the draw online. Um, and now we'll start by mentioning the fact that when it first came out, the big headline was that Atlanta had post nine and Manchego had post 10. 
But we have since had some defections. Princess Party Pants and PL Not So Nice have both scratched, so we're left to a field of eight. So now Atlanta has post seven, and Manchego has post eight. So they still have the two outside posts, but they're not quite as far out there. Um, but first things first, let's just start with Manchego. Dexter Dunn was saying that she she wasn't getting over the track very well in that Maple Leaf, and obviously she made the break um, through the stretch there as your 8-5 to five favorite and ended up losing there to Lindy the Great in that effort. So she was 6-for-7 coming into that. Now she's 6-for-8 this year, and now she has to go right back over this Woodbine Mohawk track uh, this coming Friday and again um, from the outside post. So what do you think of her in here as your morning line favorite, Robert? I, I put her on top, and and I think more so just out of respect to how good of a horse she is, and and also the connections. You know, I think that you know if Dexter Dunn says she didn't like the service last time, I think there'll be adjustments made to make sure that you know she likes it a little better the second time, you know, or at least the second time, uh, you know, this time around. Um, and I just I just think that you know she she's too good when she's at her best, and and when she gets to face you know horses of her own sex well then then her stock even goes up further so i just think that uh it's hard to go against her in here and and when i saw the original draw now people say well hey it's still the outermost post right post eight still the outside draw but post 10 is a little little trickier you know and even with the slanted gate uh i might have been inclined to go elsewhere i'll be honest i i even kind of toyed with the idea of putting you know, one that I might be partial to, the defending champion, Hey Livy, on top. Uh, and and I'll, I'll tell you, when I first wrote the journal, I actually slaughtered her in first and then kind of kept knocking her down a notch to third by the end of it. Um, but I, at the end, you know, when I, I watched the replays and and I just said, you know what, they'll, they'll have uh, Manchego figured out for this one. And I think she rebounds in a big way uh, to uh, emerge victorious. Yeah, um, you know, that Cashman, which I'm sure you got a chance to watch on Hamiltonian Day, I mean, that took a lot, a lot out of her, to be fair. Um, you know, Beads really tested her down to the wire. Um, and then, you know, got the time off, got the qualifier. So I suppose, you know, if you're trying to beat the likely favorite, um, you know, I guess there's some possible angles you could go elsewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, Manchego, for sure, out of respect, I agree with you, is, is probably still considered the one to beat. And obviously, I'm sure that the, the um, adjustments will be needed, necessary to make sure she's going to get over it a little bit better this time because um, that was just super rare for her. I mean, you know, obviously, again, watching the race from Meadowlands last week or when that race happened a week and a half ago, she just never looked comfortable. I mean, you know, she's normally more forwardly placed. She ended up 7th um, of 10, you know, early on for post 7. Just kind of never, ever did she look comfortable um, and even coming, you know, to the top of the stretch, kind of Dexter kind of angled her out. And again, before that break, even before it, she just never, ever looked comfortable in that race. I didn't yeah. think. Um, but then there's a lot of other good ones in here to talk about, too. You mentioned, hey, Livy, the defending champ. Um, but then we also have Wind Doves Cry, Hypnotic AM, Sorella, Atlanta, some of our uh, good horses we've gotten a chance to see down here at the Meadowlands. All of those, of course, coming um, through the uh, Hamiltonian Oaks at one point or another. A couple of champions in there as well in, in those names. Um, so what were your thoughts of those so far? Oh, well, you know what? It's, it's really, you know, pick your poison, right? Like for, for me, it was so hard to kind of, you know, handicap this race because I knew I was going to have Hey Livy be a part of it. Number one, she's the defending champion. She loves this surface. She's now coming back. She gets reunited with Trevor Henry, who also owns a share of her as well. So, you know, I don't think anyone knows Hey Livy better than him. So she was definitely going to be my top four, which then means someone's going to get left out. 
right? Someone has to get left out because Manchego gets the top pick. I went to Atlanta second, so I'm kind of, you know, really uh, pushing the chalk in this race, I guess. But then the the one that I ended up leaving out was when doves cry. I put hypnotic AM uh, in there. And really the the logic behind that for me was I I like it when a horse has an effort over the surface, you know, with recency. And and that's what it came down to there. And I like what Doug McDare has been doing on the Marcus, um, you know, Melander horses. And I know he did make a break, uh, in, in the final uh, last week, uh, you know, first over, but I, I think he's been handling them pretty well. So I, I did use hypnotic AM in the fourth spot and I ended up leaving out with when doves cry, which to me ended up being kind of one of those moments where I'm like, wow, it's, it's almost crazy. I did that, but it, it's just a, it's an interesting, you know, field. And there was, there was 10 horses before now there's eight, but it certainly doesn't lack quality because I, I really think that, uh, you know, with the uh, with the good ones, in my opinion, getting the outside posts, there's other ones that do have a pretty good chance in here. Yeah, um, you know, so uh, I guess in race six, I, I made the case for watch me now. Maybe you'll maybe you'll throw that horse on your late pick five ticket. Um, for me, hey, Libby was one I really didn't consider that strongly. So you've made a good case for her, and I'll take a little closer look at her here as well. Um, but no, my my second choice actually probably would be Wind Doves Cry. So I'll make the case for her here now. Back to you. Um, so first things first is David Miller, especially with her, he is just so good at trying to rate it from the front end. Now, obviously with Atlanta and Manchego having to work things out from the outside, I'm not quite sure how this early pace will set up, but, um, if you look at when Doves Cry's lines, I believe it was before the Joie de V, which was back on July 3rd, the race before that, I believe, maybe you have this year program, but I believe that's the one where when Doves Cry crawled the half in like 57 and four and David Miller just, I mean, you know, for these type of horses, the Meadowlands track is just ridiculously slow to the half and was able to just steal it from the front end. So, um, you know, if she can get to the top here, which is a bit of an if, like I said, we'll see how the shape on this one works out. Um, and she can, you know, David Miller can control the tempo there. Uh, she might only get passed by one or two of them late, maybe. So she might be able to hold on for a piece in there, but, um, for sure, you know, you, you, you pick four in here to, to write about, you've got to leave someone out and, um, there's some, some big ones in here. It should be a, a really good race on, um, Friday night, even with the two scratches, this field of eight is uh, super, super talented. <laughs> Definitely. So, Robert, I think that's about all the time we have time for tonight, but we will invite fans who'd like to continue the conversation with you or I to reach out to us on Twitter. You are at Robert Reed Jr., and for me, it's at Edison underscore 1999 underscore. And um, again, for a free program, you can go to woodbine.com backslash mohawk backslash free hyphen programs. And again, Robert Reed Jr., as always, we w- thank you for being on the show for an now third time. And you know what? I'm pretty sure we're going to get you back for a fourth time here pretty soon, I hope. <laughs> All right. No, that's, it's always a pleasure, Edison. Uh, anytime. It's uh, it's always uh, fun talking about, uh, you know, the circuit with you. And and hopefully, you know, somebody will uh, will cash a pick five ticket, whether it be you or me. And then, and then someone at home might make some money. Certainly, we will hope for that. Um, and uh, yeah, well, well, thank you again. Uh, to say it again, thank you so much for coming on here tonight, especially tonight. Because again, for our listeners out there who don't know, it's Wednesday night. You just finished at uh, Grand River like an hour ago after working their 10 race card and the Tug on Air. And now all of a sudden you're here with me. So um, a busy night for you. But again, I'm very appreciative of your time as always. Uh, Robert will wish you the best of luck this weekend as well. As all of our listeners playing Woodbine Mohawk and all your other tracks this weekend, the Thoroughbred, the Harness Variety, we wish you the best of luck. Hope you make lots of money. And we will talk to you next time. That'll be tomorrow morning, a Thursday morning episode of First Over with Edison Hatter, where we will discuss the Saturday, September 18th card. Um, and again, we have the 
a couple big races on there to talk about. I will have my Rosecroft colleague Pete Medhurst with me to talk about that tomorrow morning. But until then, we'll talk to you next time.